Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Tom Nixon, it has been a while. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. You're not kidding. I think back to May. Yeah, yeah. We longtime listeners of the podcast will have heard us use the term pod fading. And <laughs> that's usually what people do after they put out like three episodes. I think, you know, we, we did it after 107, which I don't really know. I, I haven't really taken the time to clearly sort of reverse, reverse engineer what happened or why, but needless to say, we're back and I don't really care what happened in the past. Let's, uh, let's get going again. What do you say? Absolutely. Just one small correction that we did 110 episodes. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, so I, we, we faded I, later than you thought even. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, good. Well, we are back. Uh, hopefully we still have a few listeners. <laughs> We'll see how the numbers are on this first episode, but uh, but hopefully if you liked it in the past, you'll come back um, and join us for what will be, in fact, um, I think a, a more robust uh, schedule of episodes moving forward. We'll see how that goes, but we're excited, we're re-energized, and we're looking forward to a big 2023 with the podcast, and um, welcome back to, to Tom, you, uh, to me, and to our listeners. So. Um, let's get rolling. Uh, I think we're going to try something uh, since we're, you know, since it's been a while since we've recorded, we're going to try something slightly new today, which is um, covering a, a, a series of topics. We're going to have a little bit of a free flowing conversation around them and see where it takes us. But um, just some things that we're interested in that are top of mind for us that we think will be um, of value to the listeners. And, and we're just going to kind of riff on it. That sound good. Absolutely. We've got a lot of uh, nuggets kind of stored up from our time off. So it's time to dive back in. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so let's start with this concept of uh, serendipity versus strategy. So I thought I thought about this because I know, I don't know if you remember this, Tom, but um, I kind of set out uh, at the beginning of last year talking a little bit about um, serendipity being my marketing mantra for the year and trying to kind of create new opportunities, new relationships, just say yes to more things than I typically might um, put myself in situations um, that I may have otherwise shied away from just to kind of see what happens. I mean, it's hard. Serendipity is just sort of a fancy word for luck in a sense, but I think that the difference that I'll you know, hear people talk about is that serendipity can be a little bit more um, something you can attract and and create, perhaps, um, as opposed to just blind luck, which, you know, is like, you know, winning the lottery or something like that. Um, is that is that a fair way to set up the concept of serendipity? I think so. That's kind of the way I always approached it, which is, yeah, luck is nobody says the phrase dumb serendipity the way they do dumb luck right so luck is kind of what happens to you serendipity could be what you create that's how, how i took your mantra last year yeah i think that's right um so i'm gonna i, I wanted to talk about because i made me think about did did i actually you know did, did that actually work um did i actually follow through with that and i don't know i think it's kind of a mixed bag and i'll talk about that in a second i think there's there's one good example that i'll share um but first you know the other thing that comes up uh, and I think this is related to um, from a, like a marketing standpoint is, you know, what, 
what should we be doing? Because I think a lot of people say, oh, you need to have a dialed in strategy. And what I'm kind of advocating for here is having a little bit more of a loose approach. Um, I think there's a place for strategy uh, and there's a place for trying to create more serendipity. And I think oftentimes that is based on where you're at at a particular point in your career um, to some extent. So I'm of the mindset that when you're maybe in the early stages of one's career, that's a time to say yes to virtually everything, right? It's try new things, meet new people. Um, you know, even if it even if it doesn't seem like a great opportunity, like go to that networking event, you put yourself out there and see what happens. Now, I think that that does and 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 for most people should change over time. Um, what you should be doing as you're trying to put yourself in a position to create more serendipity is understanding and spotting patterns. Okay, this I went to this sort of event, I met these sort of people, um, I, I engage in this form of marketing, you know, content creation, spending time on social media. You start noticing maybe what's actually generating those opportunities. And over time, you start doubling down on what's working. And I guess that's where, you know, that's what we call strategy, I guess, right? Where you start to, you start to figure out based on the efforts you're putting in, what's actually working, what's not, and you start to refine your approach over time. So yeah, you move from, I think, um, serendipity mindset to more of a strategic mindset. But I'm also, I, I'm also a believer that even if you have a super dialed in strategy for marketing and, and business development, for example, um, I think you should kind of leave a 10% um, I don't know time budget for for these these opportunities that that may only arise as a result of doing new things. That's kind of how I think about it, and I'll talk a little bit about how I've spent my ten percent budget over the course of the last year, um, where that's primarily been focused, and what those results have been. But um, anything to add to that, Tom, in terms of how to think about you know do it, saying yes to everything and trying a bunch of new things to kind of doubling down on what's working and developing a strategy and how that progression might change over the course of one's career. Yeah. I think it's spot on. Um, like you, the way you framed it, um, a couple things came to mind was that the ability to connect dots and spot patterns only happens with time, right? So you can't wait around forever to act. Um, so you got to do a bunch of different things, not knowing what's going to work and not maybe even drawing any preconceived notions as to this is the right strategy or the wrong strategy. Early on, you just, you spitball a little bit. Um, and where I thought you were going to, the bookend I, that I thought was maybe left off the shelf was if you're saying yes to a lot of things early on, you implied this, but you need to start saying no to things later on. Yeah. And that's a difficult skill. As you and I both know, it's one that I endeavored to acquire and I think I've gotten better at it, but um, it's difficult when you're sort of in midstream to recognize, all right, at what point do I start saying no to that event, even though it looks good, maybe to partners, but I'm not getting anything out of it. It's not generating any returns. I have to say no so that I can say yes to the right things. And that's a Michael Hyatt thing, right? For sure. Yes. No, that's, that's sort of was a, yeah, a presumption uh, within my, within my approach, which is, yeah, that that ability to double down on what's working means you're starting to say no to to much else. So yeah, you're saying you're saying no to the person that emails you and just wants to pick your brain or sort of the random lunch and that kind of thing. Things you might do more of early on because a your options are aren't as good probably right. 
um, in terms of what what options are coming your way. Uh, and so you just kind of are saying yes to more things. And you just don't know what a good option looks like at that point in your career. But you'll you'll learn that and then you'll start saying no to more of the um, the, the the options that aren't great. And you'll, you know, as a result of dialing in your marketing and the and how we're describing, you're gonna get busier too. Uh, you're gonna mm. be busier with work and you're gonna have to say no uh, as a result of that. So so that's that's kind of you know for everyone it's it kind of looks different. Um, I, I'll I'll kind of talk a little bit about how I spent my 10% serendipity budget this year. And and you've you've witnessed this a little bit. Um, you know, I've I've always been uh, and people who listen to the podcast uh, and or, or read my writing know that you know I think LinkedIn for me is my main marketing platform. Um, big advocate for LinkedIn and spend a lot of time there. Um, but this is the year where I decided I'm going to start spending some time on Twitter, and um, it's been interesting. Um, it's it's funny and and ironic that we're talking about this now because um, I've I found Twitter to be a struggle, right? In terms of growing an audience and gaining visibility for my content, that kind of thing, much much harder than than LinkedIn. Although you know I, I've spent much longer time on LinkedIn, but uh, a former guest of the podcast, Jonah Perlin. You remember Jonah? Sure Tom. do. Yeah. Um, he, I think he took pity on me earlier this week on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this or not. You might, yep. you might not have seen what I'm talking about, but he basically, he basically uh, did a tweet where he basically, basically pleaded with his, his followers and said, look, I, I, you know, just randomly, I didn't know this was coming. It's like, this guy, Jay Harrington creates good content. Can we please help him get over a thousand followers on Twitter? Because <laughs> I was stuck at like 990 for forever. I would get to 998 and then I go back to 992, whatever. And uh, so this week, Jonah helped me over. Um, so it's been a struggle. I mean, I've had some, you know, some tweets that have gone, you know, quasi viral, whatever, picked up a few hundred followers over time. Um, but it hasn't been nearly as beneficial as, as creating content on LinkedIn, at least for me. Um, however, uh, that being said, just uh, again, recently I did, um, and this this came as a result of Twitter, someone who I uh, kind of connected with there, um, got a significant engagement for 2023 um, that will be, uh, I think, a very fun project and interesting project and beneficial project to work on. So so there you go. I mean, it's that's that's how I spent my budget. Um, and it it had it ended up at the end of the year kind of in a flourish. Um, I think things worked out. I now think that that was a worthwhile endeavor. And and as we're as we're going to talk about in a bit, um, I think it will become more valuable. And I'll stick with it because I think there's a certain compounding effect to uh, social media uh, that that you you need to give it time and be consistent and be patient with it. So so there you yeah. go. But that's a, that's amazing. Can I tell my quick serendipity story? Yeah, for sure. It sort of uh, spans a career, so I'll only hit the high points, of course. But um, when blogging first came out, I was, of course, an early adopter when most of the people thought it was just, you know, fool's errand. Um, so I was writing on topics related to marketing, which was my area of expertise at the time. And I, um, because I was one of few who were doing it, there was a local business publication that asked if I would be a guest 
contributor to their blog. They were trying to get more content out there and there were just not enough people doing it. So I accepted the offer. I was a regular contributor. And then that business publication asked me to be on a sort of like board of advisors regarding marketing activities. And there was maybe 15 people on this board. And again, I'm not, that's something I would reflexively say no to, but this is early in my career. So I said, yes, going back to your point. And then I met someone, I sat next to someone there who I'd never met and that person happened to have read one of the articles that I had written for this third party publication. And he liked it. He said, let's go out and get coffee. Coffee's one, again, one of those things, this guy, what's he going to sell me? Turns out he just wanted to meet me. He thought he could introduce me to a bunch of clients and over time. So this guy, Dave, if you're out there, uh, still is a good, close confidant referral source. If I, added up the totality of the amount of business he's referred to me it's well into the six figures i mean so of course we're going over course of decades now the point i want to make is is when i set out to write that first article way back when i didn't do it with the expectation that this is going to result in six figures worth of income for me at some point i just did it because i needed to be doing something and then it wasn't until five years later that i could connect the dots and say the reason i met dave is because the is because uh the business publication saw my content and the reason the business publication saw my content because i endeavored to create content not knowing what was going to happen next so that's my story of serendipity and i've stuck to it yeah yeah that's awesome i know same way i mean i find that yeah there's no better way to create serendipity at scale than than being visible through your content it's just yeah. hard to describe and i think people get it intuitively um but you know, with enough over enough time, you'll look back and you can connect all of these dots that um, were opportunities that happened as a result of of those efforts. So, so I think that's great. And I mean, I think that's that is there is a certain type of person um, that attracts luck or or serendipity. I mean, and I, I guess that's the key. It's like the key to become uh, to be to harnessing this is to become that type of person. And I think one of the aspects of that, as I was thinking about this, was. Um, if you if you want to quote get lucky and have more luck and opportunity find you, um, you do have to you do have to make it crystal clear for the world like what what sort of luck you're looking for in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. That's where kind of this notion of branding and being having real clarity around what you do, who you serve, how you help people is is really the recipe for getting lucky because. As long as you know, at, it, when when the point occurs where people get really clear on what you do and understand how you help, then then they're in a position to make referrals to you, think of you if they need a panelist for a particular topic that they're doing. Like that's where all of these opportunities arise. It's as a result of um, your ability to create clarity in the marketplace as to some of these important issues. So. Don't um, I, I think there's probably that that's the number one um, that's the number one step in getting more lucky is and being the type of person that gets lucky is to create that sense of clarity and then it's to just be visible for a, a long period of time and that's the sort of thing you can do through content creation and other efforts but but yeah I mean would you agree with that Tom that like that it there's a there's actually a story Naval Ravikant um, the famous investor and entrepreneur talks about this uh, concept. I think the example he uses is, um, you know, the, the person who becomes known as like the world's best deep sea diver. Um, and and you know, that person uh, gets lucky when a new 
you know, treasure, a, a new ship is discovered that's packed with treasure. And, and the people who make that discovery think of no one else but him to like go down and, and retrieve that treasure. He got lucky, right? Because who, who would have thought there would be another sunken ship with treasure found? But um, his luck was something he created in a sense because he became the go-to person that could get that job done. They didn't think of anyone else. He got lucky in that sense, but it really wasn't. It was all about all the work he put in to make it crystal clear for people how he could help and who he served. Yeah. So is this the notion of becoming known well versus becoming well-known? Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly because that. I made a shift myself in 2022 um, that I guess you could describe that way is I completely and entirely and honestly and truthfully totally disregarded follower count in network size. I decided that's not important to me because I was tracking this all back to like, what do I want to happen? I want a ship to go down so that when they need somebody to go diving for it, they're only going to think of me. And I thought, I don't need to grow the size of my network currently. Um, it's not huge, but it's significant enough that there's enough opportunity within that, that if everybody knew exactly or regarded me as a near world-class diver, to use your analogy, I, I don't need more people to know that. I just need, people to know that more about me. So I, I did that shift and had similar results. So um, I guess I could speak to that was a, it's funny cause I've told people that the universe just sort of figured this out right at the time that I was trying to get the universe to figure it out. Well, you know, to your point, I don't know how lucky that was or how coincidental it was. I think that was serendipity that perhaps I created. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and just to, just so we don't gloss over that point, uh, and, and described a little bit more thoroughly. Um, what Tom was talking about was this this concept, this distinction between being well known and known well. Um, and you can be both, uh, and maybe that's the optimal thing, right? Where you you are well known uh, by many people, but the key there is to be. You know, it's not really valuable to be well known if it's if it if no one if you're just famous for no particular reason, like you go social media famous and everyone just knows you as the, uh, I don't know, whatever, like they just, they don't have a sense. They just know that you're famous um, <laughs> and they see your face all the time. And the, the alternative to that is to be known well, meaning again, people have real clarity around what you do best, who you help, that kind of thing. And I think that's where most um, lawyers and other service professionals want to be. How do you become known really well, even if it's with a smaller audience uh, so that when the opportunities of the variety you're looking for um, come across other people's radar, then they're naturally thinking of you as a result of that. You don't want to be just well-known. You can be well-known and known well, but in the, in the alternative between the two, you want to be known well, for sure, even if it's by a smaller number of people. And that's where like having a, a narrow niche comes in. You don't need to have thousands and thousands of people in your network if you've got you know, hundreds of ideal clients who are clamoring for your services and really like your content because it feels like it's made just for them. So, um, you know, maybe that's another 2023 tip for people, which is really think about, are you, are you known well? Um, or you've been just been striving to be well known. And if so, maybe you want to shift your thinking in that, in that regard. There was an interesting article I read um, that made the case too, that um, inflating say follower counts, 
this because I do believe like a robust network on LinkedIn is different than having a big following on say Twitter. But th- in this case, the article was addressing large follower counts. And the point it made is that um, people are drifting away from following the key people that they want to follow as opposed to being in the right conversations where those people are going to show up, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. um they may put you on a Twitter list and not even follow you not be- intentionally just because either they don't, well, maybe intentionally, they don't want people to know that you follow Elon Musk or whatever, but they might put that person in a twi- in a Twitter st- um, group and follow all of their tweets. And it's just because the nature of the game is changing somewhat. So it was an interesting article. I can't say that I fully espouse it, but I think it's an interesting trend to keep an eye on. Like, will your inflated numbers in terms of your network size will that impress people as much in the future and the argument this person was making was probably not so interesting to keep up on yeah yeah for sure all right let's let's change gears a little bit um i want to we'll stay on linkedin uh it's always a a favorite topic um and i thought maybe take a look back at 2022 just trying to think of what are some trends developments uh the good and the bad maybe that we've been seeing on linkedin and and what that might, uh, might that what that might advise as far as what people and ourselves might be doing in, in 2023. Um, so, so I'll start with one thing that I thought was a significant, more of an observation than anything. But I thought it was it was pretty interesting because I was following it um, fairly closely, which was uh, what I'll call the the invasion of the Twitter creators to LinkedIn. So, if you spent a lot of time on Twitter, probably pre. 2022, um, you know, th- everyone just made fun of LinkedIn, right? <laughs> so stupid, <laughs> boring, um, lame, all of those things. And then, you know, if I'll skip ahead, which is they, a lot of those same people and a lot of the really large following Twitter creators in the tech and personal development, professional development, um, sp- entrepreneurship space flooded into LinkedIn um, in 2022, especially in the second half of the year. And I, I kind of went back and tried to recreate or reverse, reverse engineer uh, how that happened and why that happened. I trace it back to Justin Welsh, mm. uh, who in, if you go back uh, in 20, I think it was October, 2021, his, his LinkedIn account was, um, disappeared on him. Like it was just, a, it ended up being just a LinkedIn error and it, it was restored, you know, within 24 hours. And he writes about this um, and he's talked about it on a podcast before, but that, that kind of scared him, right? Cause he had a big following and he's like, crap, this could happen anytime really. Um, and I better, so I better, you know, create a plan B and plan C. And so that was the moment that Justin started his newsletter, um, which is, which has grown quite a bit since then, as well as got active on Twitter. Um, so he got active on Twitter and he he went on a podcast um, that's hosted by Dickie Bush and Nicholas Cole, who are, you know, they're they're basically um, copyright guy, copywriting guys. They have a course and all that. Um, and he was talking about Justin was talking about LinkedIn on that show. Anyways, long story short, two weeks later, they pop up on LinkedIn. I noticed their content started popping up and mm. Justin started kind of, you know, commenting and boosting their posts. And that went on for some time. And then at some point, Justin Dickey and uh, Nicholas Cole went on to Twitter and started talking about how great LinkedIn is, right? Like, oh, it's untapped. 
territory. And, and it was interesting to see that because there was still a lot of oh, LinkedIn's lame, like that's stupid. But then you started to see Sawhill Bloom and Dan Coe, Matt Ryan uh, or Matt Gray uh, and other people who have very large followings on on Twitter start popping up on LinkedIn and they've been they've been killing it. Um, you know, Sawhill Bloom's got, I don't know, 100 plus thousand followers on LinkedIn now. Um, all, all these names I'll mention may mean nothing to people, but these these people within a few months all have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of followers on LinkedIn. You've probably seen their posts. They'll oftentimes repost, like they'll grab a screenshot of a Twitter, of a tweet, uh, add it as a LinkedIn post. They do a lot of carousel posts. And the, the observation that's interesting is, you know, everyone talks about, you know, you shouldn't do engagement pods. You shouldn't worry about, um, you know, pods, just do it all on your own. Well, these guys clearly have, whether it's a formal, informal agreement, they're all commenting, supporting, boosting each other's content, and they've grown like crazy as a result of it. So in any event, it's no, there's no real key takeaway here other than two things, which is one is I feel like they have, in a sense, and it might just be me, like suck some of the oxygen out of the room. I mean, you may not see any of their content, Tom, because you're not following any of the people. But if you do, you'll start to see just how much engagement and how many views and impressions and and th that they're getting on the content. It's pretty crazy. Um, and two is, you know, if you have if you have a group of smart people who do this well and actually follow through, you it's pretty clear that a pod works in the way that they're doing it. Cause it's, you know, they've all blown each other up on the platform. Well, they even managed to cross platforms, mm -hmm. right? Back and forth. So that's interesting. Totally. Yeah. 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 So you, now, you see how, you know, they're, they're, put, they're basically taking their Twitter content and they're putting on LinkedIn and Justin sort of doing the opposite in a sense where he created so much LinkedIn content, started taking it to, to Twitter and vice versa. So, And I'm guessing they're bringing that followership with them too. So they had a lot of followers on Twitter before. Much of what's happening on LinkedIn is probably a lot of the same folks. But um, yep. clarity, clarification. So when you said they're sucking the oxygen out of the room, what did you mean? Like they're just their share of voices? greater or they're doing something to a deleterious effect I, no 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 i think they're just they're just doing a great job creating lots of good content and and their their content's just getting a massive amount of um views and, and when i so it's not they're not doing anything wrong i think it's great actually they're they're bringing more people to the platform and they're making the platform more robust and allowing other people to see how valuable content creation on linkedin can be so i think it's good they're just I mean, it, it, you realize as a LinkedIn creator, these guys have been, you know, really competing and and creating great content on Twitter for years, and they're bringing their A game to a new platform. So it makes anyone else that's creating content to me uh, feel like you have to, you need to step up your game a little bit because, yeah. um, you know, what what they're doing is interesting to me. Do you have a feeling one way or the other toward people? sort of mixing media between the so for example um taking a tiktok video and posting it on linkedin or you mentioned twitter screen caps and that becomes a linkedin post so um any thoughts on whether that's good strategy annoying makes sense we'll see more of it is it crowding out the text only post that type of thing yeah i mean it, it might be a little bit i mean you're seeing more um i think i think the number one thing i'm seeing from them is taking 
Twitter threads that they've created, um, screenshotting those and creating a carousel post on LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. Carousel posts, if you're if you're watching what they're doing and they're getting, you know, a lot of um, they're getting a lot of engagement on their content, the carousel posts seem to be doing really well. Um, and I don't know whether that's, you know, whether the text only post is, is um, you know, out of favor. You know, I, I've always talked about anytime anyone talks about the LinkedIn algorithm, like they, they, gen- they probably don't know what the heck they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> and so I he- hesitate to make any uh, pronouncements. I, I just tend to think, I always default back to if I feel like my, text only posts, which is typically what I do, aren't getting much engagement. I'm, I, I resist uh, attributing that to some algorithmic change. I just, I just, cause it, cause it's almost always not. It just means that any, at any given point in time, for whatever reason, I'm just not writing very good posts. You know, when I sit down and write a good post, it tends to perform well. And so to me, that's the, uh, that's the only difference, but yeah, there's, there's other things we're seeing. I mean, the other one of the other clear trends um, is all the selfie posts, right? Um, mm. you, I'm sure you've noticed this. I mean, I'd say the eight out of 10 posts I'm seeing in my feed have um, a photo associated with them. And it's usually, many of them are just sort of selfie posts that have no relation um, to the underlying content, which is fine. I, I'm agnostic as to whether that's good or bad or indifferent. I just it's been interesting to see sort of the, I think it's more of a groupthink dynamic where um, all of a sudden you start to see people say, oh, hey, here's my first post with a selfie. I know the algorithm likes selfies or, or you know, I'm supposed to be doing this. And I'm just thinking, where does this start sometimes? You know, yeah. I, I just took the time to go back through like the, the official LinkedIn blog. Um, and there's nothing about the algorithm and uh, wanting more photos or selfies or anything else. And so I, I think sometimes you'll see people start to make pronouncements about what you should or shouldn't be doing on LinkedIn. And um, this is one of them where somehow it just got, it just caught on. And now you're seeing everybody use selfies and maybe it's working. I mean, if it is great, um, it's not necessarily something I'm going to be jumping on board with but more power to people that that's, that's been working for them. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I've never been accused of one who has a face for selfies, so I'll probably stay out of that game. But you know what? At, at risk of sounding like old man Nixon shaking his fist at a cloud, uh, you're touching on something that I'm wondering where this leads. And I'm noticing that all social, all social networks, I think, are suffering for too much imitation. Mm-hmm. So I'll use Facebook as an example. So Facebook used to be Facebook, and then they acquired Instagram, and so then they rolled out stories. But now TikTok's like eating their lunch. So now they've got reels. And it's like Facebook doesn't know what they want to be. They want to be everyone to every or everything to everyone. And I think, you know, I I don't know. Maybe you know the numbers, but I, I have a feeling that there's been considerable flight from Facebook for a lot of different reasons. But and then I see something like what you're describing, which is people are just repurposing other social network content on LinkedIn. And to me, it starts to uh, take away some of the clarity as to what LinkedIn's for. And so yeah. as a user, as an old user over the age of 50, I start my feed starts to look like social networks that I currently don't subscribe to. So why am I here? So I, not saying that that's exactly where I stand on it. I'm just wondering where this goes to the point where all social networks are all kind of the same and then there's no distinction between why I should be in one and not another. Right. Any thoughts on that? No, I do, I do have one. I mean, it's based on things I've, I've heard other people talk about, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you clearly see the mimicry of, oh, this seems to be working for 
you know, Snapchat will incorporate that element. You've seen LinkedIn do this too. They had their own sort of stories feature. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called before, but that they scrapped that. Um, but, you know, that's the, the biggest thing. I think what you're getting at is, you know, the TikTok phenomenon, what it is all about is the big difference with TikTok is you're not necessarily, you're being served content based on how, what the algorithm has determined are your interests. And it's not, like network based, right? You're you're just going to see all kinds of content randomly from who knows who. And that's one of the things people like about TikTok because you can be a nobody with no following and go viral and blow up on the platform. Um, on the other hand, on a platform like LinkedIn, I think what yeah, there's there's an element for discovery of new people, new content. Something goes viral because it was it was um, excellent content. Yeah, I want to see that, but I mostly want to see content from people in my network. Um, and, and I don't, I'm just hopeful that if, if, if everyone's chasing TikTok, that it just doesn't become, okay, all you're going to see is the most popular, you know, the quote, most popular content. Um, even if it's people you don't know, and you're not seeing anything from your, and I think, um, you know, people in your network anymore because it's not viral or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I'll try to keep, uh, the old man uh, out of the discussion from the here on out. So where are we going next? Um, I just wanted to talk about one last topic, which was um, something I've been thinking about more because I'm, you know, as, as maybe a, maybe a word or a, or a mantra for 2023 that, that I'm thinking about, which is, um, you know, 2022 is about serendipity. Um, for me, 2023, and I think other people too, uh, it is, is going to be about compounding or at least attempting to have more compounding in what I'm doing. So do you, you know what compounding is, Tom? If I was asking you to do that, you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. an investment like, standpoint. Yep, yep. Yeah. I, I was taught at a very early age, put that dollar away because you know, yeah. you'll know you thank us later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so ba- you know, basically, I mean, everyone kind of gets the basic concept, but it, it basically occurs when you're, um, you have, a, you know, you invest a certain principal amount and then you continue to reinvest the capital gains or interest um, back into the principal, which allows your gains to compound over time. It, it, at the beginning, you know, say the uh, five to 10 year horizon, um, it doesn't look like that big of a difference between, you know, if you weren't reinvesting into um, the, you know, the, that, that interest back into the principal versus um, if you are, but then it, then it takes off, right. It becomes fairly exponential over time. So um, I think, I think this concept of compounding is something that is also um, super important to be thinking about from a marketing standpoint. And that, that's really what I'm trying to do in, in, in various aspects with my business, but in particular with like my marketing and business development. So I think it's just a, it's just a principle that I'm actually writing about it for, for my newsletter uh, that's going to be going out tomorrow. This will, this will have happened before um, this episode airs, but um, just areas that maybe you can uh, invest in from a marketing standpoint that can experience compounding and how that can be really valuable uh, for people over time. So I'll give a couple examples, um, which I think will just help maybe um, set the stage for people on this issue. And it's probably a topic we're going to come back to in in future episodes, because I think it's worth addressing uh, more thoroughly. But um, you know, to me, uh, there are a number of marketing assets that are capable of compounding. I mean, one would be, for example, 
relationships with existing clients. Um, this is an area where, you know, as we all know, um, people talk about all the time, you know, it's easier to um, retain and expand a relationship with an existing client than going out and finding a new one. And, and it, I'm absolutely um, certain that that's true. There's truth to that old principle. And, and that's because, um, you know, those relationships are capable of compounding. The longer you spend investing in that relationship, the more valuable, more exponential it can become over time. So I think that's definitely an area that is often overlooked um, due to, we'll call it shiny new client syndrome that leads people not to um, invest in a way that can allow compounding to happen in existing relationships. Um, another would be, I'll call it your, your reputation or your brand, right? Again, this gets back to this notion that of um, the more clarity you can create, the, mo the, the, the more expertise that people perceive you have, um, the more visible you are, the more trustworthy people uh, perceive you to be, all of these things can compound in your favor. Word, word spreads, word of mouth starts to take hold. Um, people start to be drawn to you as a result of what you're doing. Um, that's definitely an area of compounding. Um, your content, that as well, um, you know, the ability to create evergreen content that is free of gatekeepers in a, in a world of infinite leverage and distribution on the internet, super powerful, um, super capable of, of those compounding effects. And then, um, and then your network is the same way. So, you know, it, this is sort of related to your personal brand, your personal brand helps you grow your network, but your ability to, um, to cultivate and nurture your network to the point where uh, people start to generate uh, referrals for you and that kind of thing, that's, that's another compounding marketing asset. And, and so, um, you know, these are fairly obvious areas, I think, of, of importance. Um, but I think that sometimes people don't realize how much more valuable they can be than sort of the one-off, you know, I'm going to do a one-off this or one-off that, or I'm going to buy these ads or none of that is capable of compounding. None of it's mm. uh, potentially exponential. Um, so I just think, well, I'll leave it there. Um, but I think this concept of compounding is one that people should be thinking about, you know, it, can this compound or not? And if not, I should rethink whether that's worth investing time in because it's not going to have a long-term beneficial, um, uh, you know, benefit to it that, that you really will realize over time. Yeah, exactly. Two things that I would just add um, with the caveat that, you know, you and I and the clients that we work with tend to, um, have long buying cycles, right? Professional services are not impulse buys. So keep that in mind as we sort of frame where I sort of frame this. What I love about your analogy is two things. One is the whole purpose of compounding from an investment standpoint is not to realize gains today. It's to realize gains at some future point when you really need them, right? And it's tough to have that discipline from a, if you're a new marketer or business developer to, to have the discipline to say, I'm going to do all this stuff now. It is not going to benefit me this week, maybe not even this month, but there is that future point where like the Delta between the, those two curves it says like, wow, this is way easier now than it used to be. Right. And so again, that takes time. And so that there, the notion of taking that compounding mentality, which is, this is not for today. It's for tomorrow. I think is a healthy one. And then the other thing is they tell you not to do uh, at least for more of the conservative investors is, don't chase gains. 
And you tweeted something this week that caught my eye and you said, don't chase demand. And by that, what I took that to mean, and maybe you can expound on what you really meant if I have it uh, incorrect, is that um, if you're chasing a prospect at the point of purchase, it's probably already too late to earn their trust. And you may not even get on the short list. Whereas, you know, at risk of stealing Yakov Smirnov's bit where in Soviet Russia demand chases you, that's how I thought of it, right? Demand should chase you when demand is there because you've already earned and established the trust, authority, expertise that that person who's now out there looking to buy needs. And you can't get that on the cheap. You can't get that quickly. Like it has to compound over time or you're never going to get there. So I think those two related concepts, you know, this idea of this long-term investment and then not chasing short-term gains, but being patient to, to really, when you really need to make a withdrawal, you have enough built up and enough invested. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Those are, those are spot on. I mean, the long-term uh, long-term approach aspect of, of this is, is evident uh, for anyone who you know spent long periods of time trying to create content, cultivate a network on LinkedIn. Um, especially if you're, if you're someone like me who's just decided, all right, I'm going to post every day and I'm going to put time and effort into this. Um, and yeah, maybe um, first twelve months of that effort didn't. I mean, it paid off maybe a little bit, but not not too much. But by year three, which is probably where I'm at now, I mean it's. It's 95% of my new business opportunities all coming inbound, you know, sort of get, again, getting lucky, uh, getting lucky on LinkedIn. Um, but it's, it's because it's a combination of, um, you know, sort of high leverage distribution uh, through social media content, which compounds and, and lives on. And lots of people see um, building a, a personal brand, becoming really allowing people to have a real clear understanding of, who I serve and what I do. I mean, all of these, all these aspects start to work in concert with one another. And that's where sort of the compounding really kicks in. So yeah, that's, that's right. And then, yeah, the whole notion of don't chase demand um, because when you recognize, when you recognize someone has demand, it's too late. Um, you need to be top of mind and I've already built trust with that person when they recognize they have demand. Um, right. that's, yeah. And then they're going to reach out to you. Uh, it, if, if, if again, all these other pieces are in place, but that's, that's, that's how people buy, right? I mean, it's, it, there's certain, maybe, maybe in certain areas of the law, you can chase demand and it works. Um, but I think for most of our, our listeners in more of a, you know, corporate or B2B or sophisticated service offering um, practice, that's just not the way it works. So yep. you gotta, you gotta be there when, your prospect recognizes the demand and they're thinking of you at that point. Well, just to tie it back to the very beginning, as we tie it up into a tidy little bow, what you just described about um, every day posting on LinkedIn for three years, that was more of a habit-based approach as opposed to a goal-oriented approach, which I know you're writing about currently too. You always espouse because you wouldn't have you could have sat down and said, here's my three-year strategy and reverse engineered where you are today to where you would have started. I bet you wouldn't have started with, well, just start posting every day on LinkedIn. It'll happen, right? So back to your point, you created serendipity and you took more of a serendipity-centered um, approach as opposed to being beholden to this real thought-out plan strategy that you would never would have planned it this way, probably, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have. I would have been like, all right, I'm going to do this twice a week and I'm going to then I'm going to do something else over here. And I'm going to and it's just going to be this spread yourself thin sort of strategy that never allows any of these forces to 
kick in um, because there's not enough consistency and, and focus to them. Yep. Well, uh, thinking of uh, consistency and focus, it's good to be back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So good. I know we uh, we did a little bit of a longer one than we typically do, but hey, we had a lot. We had a lot, to say. <laughs> a lot of pent up <laughs> ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah, and we'll hope everyone enjoyed this, and uh, we'll come back for the next episode. And um, Tom, it was good to get kind of back back on the saddle again. Yep. Same here. See you again soon. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.